Lord, I pray now that you would take the words from your Bible and the words that come from my mouth and you would focus us on you. That you would deepen our understanding, but more than our understanding, our alignment with you, our intimacy with you, that your word would be transforming. In Jesus' name, amen. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been wrestling with this all week long. I feel like there's an echo or something going on. Okay. I've been wrestling with this all week long because if you were here last week, you know we're supposed to be finishing up Luke 24. But this, from the beginning of the week, I've just been wrestling with it. And, and, I, and when I have these kinds of times when it keeps playing, um, I've learned that it's usually because God is trying to reveal, try, he's trying to deepen, he's trying to help me understand something more profoundly. And, and I've wrestled with it all week. Um, and... Um, and I just got to kind of lay it out there and say, most of the time when I have a, a message to deliver, a sermon to preach, um, I'm pretty clear on where it's headed and where it's going to end up, you know, direction. But, but this sermon is, um, is an expression of that wrestling. And it's not, there's not a conclusion um, I know that God wants us to understand more profoundly what this verse is about. Other than that, I'm not sure. And so the wrestling has been partly because I'm not sure what all of the clarity is. And so today I feel like this message is kind of a step in that direction. So listen not only with your ears, but with your heart and your soul to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you and revealing to you. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why God is, has, has caused me to wrestle is, is because we, um, as, as human beings, tend to get, I don't know, flippant or trite or um, take something as commonplace when we get familiar with it. That's just the way we are. That's not criticism. That's just the way that we are. And I think that's true of this reality. Um, the, the depth of this, this, uh, this scripture. Um, I, and, and back some 25 years ago, I, I don't know what year the movie Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan came out, mid-90s or so, somewhere in there. And I remember I, would, I went away for a couple of days and, and I went by myself to see that when it came out because I'm a big history guy, especially World War II era, um, and did, had no idea what I was getting into. Because the first 25 to 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan is a, um, such a true-to-life depiction of the tragedy, of the gore, of the devastation 
of what war is really all about and what D-Day, it was, it was D-Day. So it was the devastation on Omaha and Utah beaches as the Allied forces landed and the Germans were, and, and the, just the pictures that were there. And the first 25 minutes are so overwhelming and so powerful and so true to life that World War II veterans in mass would walk out because that had gone through that would walk out because it triggered all that they had been through. And I was, I was devastated by it. I had never been in war, but I was devastated. And I remember um, going back to the cabin that I was staying at that night and curling up in my bed and just crying out to God, I can't, God, how did they do that? How did these men land on that beach and walk into the face of fire and, and know that they probably would not survive? What? And, and I was just overwhelmed with it. My soul was in agony. My heart was in agony. And my mind couldn't get itself wrapped around it. But I was familiar with people dying. I went to my grandmother's funeral. I went to my uncle's funeral. I was familiar with the dying. I was familiar with people dying, but I was not familiar with that kind of destruction, that kind of agony, that kind of senselessness. And as I'm laying curled up in that bed, what I heard God say to me was, it's because they had, they believed in something that was bigger than trying to save their own lives. They didn't count their lives as most precious. They were willing to surrender it. And the follow-up question was, are you willing to do that for me? And it's haunted me ever since. Because am I? And yet, when Jesus tells us that we are to be crucified with Christ, we say those words, but there's a depth to what he's talking about that we don't grasp, and I think it's because we're so familiar with it. Are you willing, God's question to me, to give your life like that? Are you willing to sacrifice this life in order for, for something more important? And, and for them, it was, it was to take down the evil empire of Germany. For us, it's to serve the risen Christ. It's an eternal or that God calls us to fight. Some years later, a group of people from New Song went to the theater to watch a different movie. Um, and we had no idea what we were getting into. It was called The Passion of the Christ. And I had, a, I had a hunch because I'd read the reviews and, I, and, and as we were in the theater and I was looking around and people were eating popcorn and drinking and eating stuff, I'm thinking, you probably ought to put that away because I think this is going to take your appetite away. And I remember watching that and having some of the same kinds of feelings. And on that night, I came back to this building Nobody else was here, and I knelt down, and I just wept because of the devastation to Christ, the depiction of his crucifixion, and the reality that it was my sins that put him there. 
And I remember kneeling and just going, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't believe you would do that for me. The crucifixion of Christ. Now, and, and this is not criticism of you. It's, it's, it's a challenge to all of us is that have we become so familiar with this concept of the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, that we're taking it for granted. And as a result of taking it for granted, we're, we're not grasping what it means to be crucified with him. So let's talk about it. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first thought that comes from the scripture is, is, is Jesus' crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ's crucifixion. So as I, as I said, human nature is to, um, when we, the more familiar, familiar we are with something, the more we take it for granted and the less impact that it has on us. So audience participation time. What are the kinds of things that that happens to us about? I'll give you an example as you're thinking. A young man meets a young woman and is captured. And suddenly, every day, the woman is on his mind. He talks with her as often as he can. He sees her as often as he can. They go places together, and when they're not together, they're on the phone, and they're texting, and they're FaceTiming, and they're, they're just preoccupied because they're in love with each other, and, and it's, it's precious. And, and then, after a while, they get married, and, and then they get into a rhythm of life, and then they come to me five years later saying, it's not like it used to be. It's not that they don't have a relationship. It's that the familiarity has caused them not to value it or, or grasp it or understand it as they did before. What other kinds of, so, so audience participation, that was mine. What can you think of? What kind of situations or? The difference between a newborn and a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a newborn, everybody likes a newborn. Everybody's going, oh, ooh, you know, and then the teenager walks in and everybody goes, oh. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. I'm, everybody except present company accepted. You know, yeah. When Luke walks in, we go, oh, yeah, he, look, he's so cute. He's a, yeah. But that's true, right? The familiarity. What else? Jo our work, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. This is the, my dream job. I wanted this. And then you're in it for a while and you realize, and it can still be good, but it's so familiar that we don't value it. Yeah, right. Yeah, the first time you have this, this meal that you really love and it's so good, and then the next time it's, it's good, then and, you know, eventually you go, oh, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Say it louder. Oh, yeah, I got a car. I look at this car, you know, and then it gets scratched the first time, and then after a few years, it's not as, you know, you're thinking about the next car, yeah. It's just, it's, 
it's the truth of our reality, right? It's our human nature to become familiar with it. We live in a culture where most of us have grown up with seeing crucifixes, even if we weren't taught a lot about it. Or at the Easter time, you know, watching a passion play or a movie. Or, and and we, we take it for granted to the place that we don't value what Jesus did for us. So several things came to mind as I was thinking about Jesus' crucifixion. And that is the brutality and the length of the pain that Jesus endured. Jesus could have been killed in a lot of different ways. His death is what would pay for our, the, the penalty for our sins. He could have been hung by the neck and immediately died. He could have been beheaded. He could have been thrust through with a spear. There are a lot of ways he, he could have died, but instead God chose one of the most brutal capital punish methods punishment methods ever devised. And so he was put on that cross. And the nails were driven through his, his hands and his feet. And then he was raised to that cross. And the brutality of hanging on a cross for hours. It was just torture. It, was, it, was not, it wasn't really a, a, a method of capital punishment as much as it was a torture to warn people to not, not sin against Rome, to, to make them not turn, turn, turn away from crimes. And so there he hung for hours for our sins. When he could have gotten off the cross at any moment he chose. There's a song that says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have. But he didn't, out of his love for us, to pay for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore our sins. He hung there for hours in pain and agony, the physical pain, the brutality, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There it is again, that we might live Die to sin, live to righteousness. There's also the agony of the spiritual pain. The physical pain was, the, was part of the Old Testament system that God had designed someone taking our place, taking our sins and dying physically. But it, I think it was the agony of his, the spiritual separation from the Father that was the most brutal of all. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't just something to say. What we hear in Jesus is his crying out of what he's experiencing in that moment. Never before, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in community, an intimate community, three in one, the Trinity, the three in one. They'd never been separated before, ever. Even as Jesus walked this earth, there was a oneness about them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in that moment, in order to pay for our sins, he had to become sin. He had to bear our sins. And the punishment for that was, was separation from God, a broken relationship with the Father. And so in that moment, he experienced the sin and the separation that we rightfully deserve. 
Because you see, hell is not so much, there, there's, there's kinds of descriptions in the Bible that tries to, to capture the pain of hell, flames and um, um, the, where the worm never dies and where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's all of those descriptions. But, but in essence, hell is separation from God in a way that we don't experience in this life because we're still experiencing the blessings of God even if we don't have a relationship with God. And so in that moment on the cross, he experienced the spiritual pain of being separated from the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, to bear our sin, to experience the punishment of separation from the Father who knew no sin, so that we, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So the brutality and the the length of, of physical pain, the agony of the spiritual pain, then leads to the incomprehensible, unfathomable gift. We will not, until, until eternity, be able to grasp the depth of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Because we don't know what hell feels like. We can't know what we've been saved from. I mean, we've experienced the pain and the, the, the emptiness and the meaninglessness of life without God. But we've never experienced the pain that Jesus experienced. The unfathomable, incomprehensible gift that we were without hope, without God, doomed for eternity and punishment and doomed to emptiness on earth. Jesus died in our place. We look around in this world and everybody's pursuing meaning in some way, shape or form, right? A lot of, in a lot of different ways, a lot of ways that end up empty. It's because of the longing that everyone is born with for God, for something that will provide meaning. And that's what Jesus provides for us here and then hereafter. And so he fulfilled the Old Testament requirements and the punishment to provide the way for us to be reconciled with God. It's not just about accepting Christ as Savior. It's not just about having our sins forgiven. It's about being reconciled in intimate relationship with God that was lost in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve turned away, and as a result, they, they were devastated and they, they covered themselves, hiding themselves from God and hiding themselves from each other, blaming each other, blaming God, and, and their world turned completely upside down. They lost the garden, and we've never known that. You know, sometimes I wonder, how did Adam and Eve live with knowing what they'd lost? the perfection of right side up living and in the eternity of heaven that we are offered that they lost for eternity. We can't comprehend the gift that's been given to us. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter two. Does anybody need a Bible? We've got some Bibles back here. One of the ushers can bring it up. Anybody need one? Okay. Colossians chapter two, beginning with verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Remember, and remember, we're, we, we, we um, 
God has given this capacity to get used to something so that we don't realize it's so bad or so good. Have you ever had a pain that you thought, oh, I can never live through this, and then a few days later you just, you've kind of adjusted to it, and you're, that's the emptiness of, of living without God. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we were dead. Without Christ, we are dead. And there are a lot of people out there that are, are still dead without Christ. They're without Christ, and so they're dead. Their spirits are dead. Their hearts are dead. They're, they're empty. There's an emptiness. There's a meaninglessness, but they've gotten used to it. So they don't realize the devastation of it. And I think it's only as we come to Christ that we look back and realize how devastating it was. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. What, how did, what did he do? He canceling the debt, the record of our debt, the sins that we owed him, that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when Christ was crucified, when he was nailed to the cross, our sins were nailed to the cross. What we owed him, all, everything that we've done, the devastation. And so after seeing the passion of the Christ, I think the right response was for me to be devastated because I got a glimpse of what my sin had done to Jesus. Now, I don't think I've ever watched that movie since because I don't want to feel that again. And I'm not sure that's the right response. Nailing it to the cross. But not only that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is the spiritual beings, the demonic beings, the rebellious beings. He disarmed them and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So they no longer have power over us. You'll be tempted, but you can turn to Christ and Christ will say, no, took care of that. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the ability to not give into that temptation. Fear will come, but he says, no, fear doesn't have to control you anymore. I already took care of that on the cross. I took care of it. It's no longer powerful. Jesus' death forgave us, made us alive, canceled our debt, and he's disarmed. So we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on what, cruci what Jesus' crucifixion really meant, but that's, that's a glimpse. So the second part then we come to is, is being crucified with Christ being crucified with Christ. So Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ has been crucified, but if I'm following Christ, then I have to be crucified with him as well. And that should sober us. It should take us aback. It's familiar, and, and that's, that's part of the problem. We're familiar with his whole idea. And we um, lose a sense of, of what that really meant. Did, so this morning, um, as the thunder and lightning and the rain and nastiness was going on around us, did it even start to cross your mind, I don't know if I want to go out in that to go to worship. And, and I'm, I, I, I'm not saying any of you gave into it, but... Let, let, let's go forward a few months when the white stuff starts falling. I'm not sure if I want to go out in that, Lord, to worship you. 
I am crucified with Christ becomes a clarion call for us to recognize those places where we have still held on to. You see, the Christ-following life is hard. I know Jesus talks about the, the yoke and says, my burden is easy, my, uh, what is it? My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's a contrast to the kind of yoke that sin gives you, right? And so it is compared to that, but it's still hard. And it requires the very best of us. And Jesus tried to tell us that over and over again. He tried to tell his followers that over and over again. But human nature is such that we want to make things easier, more palatable. We want to make them, and, and so sometimes we sugarcoat them or we, we try to take the, the hardness away from it. But in Luke 9.23, one of our former memory verses, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. In other words, be crucified with Christ every day. Surrendering ourselves to Christ every day and follow him. He tried to, to put it in terms that they would understand. And, and can you imagine being in the crowd that day the first time he said that? Because these people were familiar with crucifixion. The Romans' way of crucifixion, we, you know, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross is the song that we sing. But the way that the Romans did it is that they would line the streets going into a city with, with, with crosses. So that as people were coming into any major city in the Roman Empire, they would see people hanging there. They would see people, dead bodies left there. They would see the birds poking at the bodies that were left there. And so they were very familiar with crucifixion. And so when Jesus says for the first time, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and the mouths would drop open because they would recognize the metaphor that Jesus was using as we don't. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You see, we get so familiar with it that we don't recognize what, what Jesus is trying to communicate. I put some arrows in there. This idea of being crucified with Christ is the decision. It is the decision. The decision is not, do I want to accept Christ as my Savior? Do I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins? That's not the decision. The decision is, am I willing to do a 180 and make Jesus Lord of my life, in control of my life? Let him be in charge of my life. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to them, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The way is wide. The gate, the gate is wide that leads to following your own desires, doing your own thing, whatever. But, and those who enter are many. The many will be on that path. He says, for the, narrow, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, that leads to following him. It's a narrow gate. It's a hard gate. And those who find it are few. And it'll be relatively few people who actually do it. 
It's not about praying a prayer. It's about turning 180 degrees and following Jesus and being crucified with him. It's the decision. It is the decision of every person's life. It is a life and death choice. It's, it's also all or nothing. All or nothing. He says, I am crucified. I am dead. I put the old man to death. It's not, I don't live anymore. It's not me that lives anymore. It's Christ that lives within me. The old man is dead. The old man was killed on the cross. It's all or nothing. When I was a kid growing up, we lived on six and a half acres out in the country. So I've got some country boy in me and um, some of you city folks won't understand this story. We had four acres of fields where we had horses for a while. We had two strands of barbed wire on top of the fence that enclosed that four acres. One barbed wire, you know what, everybody know what barbed wire is? Okay. Was electric. It was put in, I don't know, I, I think my dad put it in after we moved in. It, but he didn't take the old barbed wire down, which was not electric. So there were two strands of barbed wire that was running all around those four acres. One of my jobs was to clear the barbed wire. As you might realize, out in the country there are birds, right? You've seen birds. You city folk know what birds are. And when you're out in the country, there are a lot of birds. There are a lot of different kinds of birds. Birds flying all over the place. They're chasing the insects. They're doing good things. Um, birds out in the garden, um, picking at our crops. That's a bad thing. You don't want that. But there's just birds, birds everywhere. Most of the time, and, and, and they're alive. I mean, they fly, they make noise. They're, and, and sometimes they're pretty to watch. You, you know, you, sometimes you watch them come in hundreds and hundreds of birds at a time just flying and swirling and God's creation and all that. But my job was to clear the barbed wire because sometimes birds would come, they would fly around and then they get tired. They go, I got to find some place to rest. So they look down and they see the barbed wire and they would land on the barbed wire, which was fine as long as they landed both feet on the same barbed wire. They could land on the electric barbed wire and they would be fine. They could sit there all day. Or they could land on the non-electric barbed wire, sit there all day. The problem came in is when the bird would say, you know what, I don't like this wire anymore. I think I'll go over to the other wire. And they would take one foot and they would put it on the electric barbed wire and keep the other foot on the non-electric barbed wire. And you know what happens next? They're no longer alive. And birds, then this is probably, your city folks won't know this. When they are electrocuted, their claws clench. And as a result, they're clenched to that barbed wire and they fall down and swing back and forth. They're dead, but they're still clenched to the barbed wire. So one of my jobs was to clear the barbed wire. Take the birds off of the barbed wire. And when you take the bird off the barbed wire and you look at it, 
It's dead. It's no longer alive. It, could, it was just flying around just not long ago, but now it's dead. And it's dead because it tried to have its feet, one foot in both worlds. You see where this is headed? When we try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, we're dead. You're not alive in Christ. You're dead. You have to be all in. All in with Jesus. And Jesus is the electric fence, in case you don't know. Because he's got life, you know, he's got power, he's got strength. But that's going too far with the analogy. It's all or nothing. You can't live with one foot doing what you want to do and one foot doing what Jesus wants you to do. I'm crucified with Christ means I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the old nature. And then finally, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Either way, in or out, in or out. It's a lifestyle of living for Christ or it's a lifestyle of living not for Christ. It's not a decision. It's not a compartment. It's not a silo that you live in. It's not a part-time job. It's 100, 100, It's 24-7, 365 days a year. Eyes on Christ, crucified and being alive with him. And we'll talk about what it means to be alive next week. Number three, the challenge of living after dying. This is what's been rumbling around in my head all week. So what does it mean for us? We go back to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, and it's not just a spiritual experience, it's a, it's a whole person experience. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The challenge of living after dying is to keep our eyes on Christ. And so that's what the teaching, that's what discipleship is, becoming like Jesus, becoming a disciple, becoming a follower, surrendering ourselves. And so in Luke 9, 23, when he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself every day, is saying no to myself, no to sin, no to temptation, no to fear, and saying yes to him, denying myself. Jesus, I'd really like to do this. And he says, no, don't do that. You go, okay. Denying myself, taking on my cross, Surrendering to him and following him every day. Turn to Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. One of the things that, that I've noticed is since we've been memorizing this verse and God's been wrestling with me about it, it's throughout the New Testament. This concept is way more pervasive and exhaustive than we realize. Mentioned over and over and over again. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we no longer live that way, we live following Christ. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So when we're crucified with Christ, 
sin no longer has any power over us. Because when a person is dead, this life has no power over them anymore. Right? They're not cold. They're not hot. They're not, they're not tired. They're not tempted. They don't need food. They're dead to this world. But alive to Christ. And so sin no longer has any power. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And we have been crucified with Christ, so that's our experience too. We'll talk more about that next week. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the arrow, the old life has no power, has no hold, has no control over the dead. Those dead birds, this life didn't matter to them anymore. When you're dead, you're, 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 not, um, you're not at the mercy of the things that in, that, in that realm anymore. And so as we live in the spiritual realm, instead we are living in, as, in this body in the spiritual realm. But the new life must be cultivated. The new life must be cultivated with intensity. So Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said you must be born again. And so the picture that he gives to us is once we have been crucified with Christ, we start as newborn babies. And newborn babies need to be fed and help. They need sleep. They need rest. They need um, loving. They need caring. They need to be changed and, and so that they can grow to maturity. So just because we've been crucified doesn't mean that we are what we need to be. So, um, so let's shift into very practical next step as a congregation stuff. Um, in our learning communities, we are coming to the end of a study, and I've asked you to pray. What, you know, what what does God want for us next? I've had in, I, I've sensed that God has said to me um, a number of months ago, this word mission. Before we went into our week of prayer and fasting, I sensed God asking us to pray about living lives of love, living lives of truth, living lives on mission. And now I believe that God has brought to us the next step of what we need to be doing in walking in step with the Spirit, listening, walking in step, Hearing God, as our devotional says, and that is um, this study. Experiencing God, this is the leader book. <laughs> I love participation. I'm glad one person's excited about it. Experiencing God is, it's a study we actually did some 25 years ago. If you're around here in 1998, you were part of it. Um, this is a study about what it looks like to um, walk in step with, with God, hearing his voice, and joining him in what he's doing. It's a, but this is a study unlike the other leadership or, or, or learning community studies. Because this, um, I didn't bring the participant book, this is a study that you will require you to spend 15 or 20 minutes a day at home looking into scriptures, thinking about them, 
applying them, and then coming back to learning community, and then we'll watch about a 20-minute video by Henry Blackaby, and he'll apply it that way, but you will also be applying it to your life throughout the week. That's different because right now, learning community is you come and we usually have a video and we discuss it and you go home. And it's been fine. It's been good. It's been, but this is the next step up. This is the next level up. So as I was walking the last couple of days, I sensed God say to me this. If we are serious about being crucified with Christ, we will put the daily effort into experiencing God. If we are serious about being crucified with Christ, we'll be willing to go from um, Sundays, a day, learning community, maybe some Bible studies, to spending some time with God with that workbook, thinking about the scriptures, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring things to mind and going forward. Now, um, some of you have been a part of the learning community from the beginning. Some of you have joined along the way. Some of you are not. I'm going to challenge you. Because if we want to be crucified with Christ, why won't we do what we need to do? Now, if you just can't fit it in your schedule, talk to me and we'll, we'll try to work that out. But this, this study 25 years ago was the launching pad for what you're experiencing today at New Song in learn, listening to God. This was a part of what God used to get a hold of my heart so that if you are benefiting from... Um, my, my speaking, my teaching about intimacy with God and walking in step, it's, it's partly because of this. And that's what I want for you. 25 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, I want you to be so in tune with him because this became a launching pad for you. If you're serious about wanting to follow Christ, you need to do the study. Somehow, shape, or form. If the current schedule doesn't, so I'll work with you on whatever details we need to work on. But don't tell me that you don't have 15 or 20 minutes a day to lean into God. Okay, I, I'm, just, I'm just meddling and I'm just being as blatant as, as I possibly can. Because I'm old and I don't really care anymore. Amen. Don't tell me that you don't have 15 or 20 minutes to spend with Jesus. Because it's life. It's the priority of life. Amen. If I am going to be crucified with Christ, then I have to do the hard stuff. There's nothing more important, I've said in previous weeks, nothing more important than our relationship with God, relationship with people. And that requires relational conversation with Him. And this is simply a tool for making that happen. So it's not going to start this week. Um, it depends on how, how much we get through this week with the Ray Vandalin application. Um, so it might start the following week. We'll have the workbooks by next week. And I'll explain more about it as we go forward. Today, I want to challenge you to make a decision to say, I would do it because... See, this is where... <laughs> Now, 
This is where I, had, I wish I was kind of like the Apostle Paul back in those days when he had the spiritual authority to say, okay, if you're going to be a part of this church, you've got to do it. I can't do that. Because I can't dock your pay. I, you know, there's no, what, what can I do? But what I can do is plead with you. Ten years from now, I want you to have intimacy with God beyond what you can even imagine. Because that's where the fulfillment is. That's where the joy is. That's where the meaning is. Um, and I believe this is the tool that God has been leading us to. And now it's time. We're going to celebrate communion. So if you're watching online, get the elements. If you're with us here, grab the elements. If you need any, um, we can have one of the ushers grab some for you. Does anybody, everybody have communion elements? We've, talked, we've been talking about Jesus' death, his crucifixion. A celebration of communion is remembering Jesus' death. It's remembering what he did. Um, the bread or the cracker represents the body of Christ that was pierced by the nails. His body that had the crown of thorns pressed onto his head. That had the sword pierced in his side. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And so when we celebrate communion, we're remembering his death that was motivated by his love that provided for our forgiveness and reconciliation and eternity with him. And we do it looking forward to the day when he will return. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we praise you that you are God and we thank you that you are love and that out of your love you died for us and in dying for us you took care of our sin and reconciled us with the Father and for all the blessings that come from that and for the family of God that you've united us through your body. We're just so grateful, God. I pray that you would work in each one of us and prepare us for this experiencing God study. That it will transform us more individually, but also as a church body 
to be living lives of truth and love and on mission. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.